Hello, I'm Philippa Harris, the Deputy Editor of The Lancet HIV, and welcome to In Conversation With, the journal's podcast. Today I'm speaking with Fatima Mir from the Aga Khan University in Pakistan. Fatima and her colleagues have published an article in the June issue exploring factors associated with HIV infection during the 2019 outbreak in the Lakhana district of Pakistan. So hi Fatima, thank you for joining me. Philippa, thank you for having me. So could you start just by kind of giving us an overview of the outbreak and also from your work, what factors were associated with HIV infection? So, uh, Philippa, the interesting thing is that Larkana, where this outbreak was announced in, in 2019, is actually a place where there is transmission of HIV in the general population and in high risk groups since the past two decades. So around in 2008, uh, there, there was a, the first outbreak in Larkana, which was among sex workers. Then there was another one, which was between dr- intravenous drug users. Then in 2016, there was an outbreak in people who had been using, had been uh, visiting a dialysis center. So already there is established lack of injection safety, blood safety, needle exchange. They, so there were, they were multiple high-risk groups in Larkana to begin with. Now, what happened in 2019 was that we found a slew of cases. There were about 46 kids who for the first time tested positive when they registered at a new thalassemia care center. And I found out about this because we had connections with the thalassemia center. We sent out an email to the national program, but simultaneously, there were some physicians who were also working in the Ratudero area. And, you know, they were looking at kids who were really, really unwell. And they suspected HIV and tested for it. And they found that a few kids were positive. So the outbreak was reported by these private practitioners. Now, once the HIV outbreak, so to say, was uh, reported in the media, there was a flurry of, there was mass hysteria. There was a lot of anxiety in Larkana. And we, when we reached over there, we basically saw even in the initial month or so when multiple UN agencies and et cetera, you know, so it was declared as a WHO grade two emergency, uh, you know, stakeholders and um, experts from across the world flew in. And what we found basically was that more than maternal to child transmission, it was everybody gave a history of multiple injections at quacks, at medical, at registered medical practitioners. And what we found was that there was an, there was a very clear lack of understanding of infection control, injection safety, injection practices, even among registered medical practitioners. It wasn't just the quacks. These weren't surprising findings at all. And then eventually the case control which we conducted and which is going to be reported in June shows exactly that. There is a high frequency of Hep B and Hep C in the children with HIV than the controls. There is a higher frequency of multiple injectable drugs received by those children who are HIV positive than the ones who are HIV negative. And of course, even though it may be a confounder, but there is an increased number of access of health facilities in the kids who are HIV positive. So sort of not going to a health facility was protective in this case control study. And I think, you know, when the reports first came out, that there was a kind of a move to sort of blame this all on one healthcare practitioner and, you know, just just one person who didn't understand it. But as you say, you know, the link um, between the, the blood transfusion injections, it, it wasn't linked to a single setting. And, and you said this didn't surprise you. you know, is, is this the kind of thing you've seen before? Absolutely. So, so, so I mean, that poor physician, well, you know, uh, that unfortunate physician was actually 
by reputation, he was a sound pediatrician. His infection control and his infection control practices were as good or as bad as those of other practitioners in the city. It's just that he was the leading physician. So most people who had visited him, and almost every child in Larkana has visited him at least once, it's very easy, uh, Philippa, and it's so formulaic to be able to blame this one thing. <laughs> you know, but in, in countries with weak health systems like Pakistan, it's always a systematic breakdown of the system and, and, and the chink in the arm. There's more than one chink in the armor. So what we found was that even children who had never visited that one physician were positive. They had been to other practitioners. So I, and we also realized, uh, Philippa, that um, we realized that there is a there's a clear lack of infection control teaching at the undergraduate level and at the postgraduate level of trainees who are working in hospitals in Pakistan. I think, I mean, recently I heard a story of, of how a postgraduate pediatric consultant for the first time who had always worked in a public sector hospital saw a safety box for injection, uh, used injections, syringes, uh, disposal. She saw it for the first time after having passed her post-graduation in um, pediatrics. So that was a very sobering moment for me when I heard this. But it sort of gives you an idea of how infection control is completely lacking in public sector hospitals. And I mean, have, have there been changes to things like training or clinical guidelines as a result of the outbreak? You know, do you think things like this have the potential to sort of really drive change with things like infection control? The truth is, Alba, that from April 2019 till, say, you know, till COVID hit in uh, March uh, 2020, this one year was reactionary because it was more immediate for us to create a place where these children could be linked to care and treated and managed and basically, you know, salvaged. And I feel that from a treatment and care point of view, we had gained momentum and we, are, we were doing very well. In fact, I can happily say, Philippa, that at this time, almost 97% of the children who tested positive are being treated and are re doing reasonably well. The truth was that uh, by the time COVID hit in March 2020 was the time when the focus was shifting now from immediate treatment and care needs to now the infection control and systematic approach to it from the medical cater point of view, from management point of view, you know, from stakeholders point of view. I can, I can, I can tell you that so far with the help of UN agencies and the government, Yes, they have set up X number of incinerators in Larkana to get rid of, uh, you know, medical waste. Yes, they have been infection control training sessions, but I don't think we'll see an impact of it, Philippa, anytime soon, because I think a really aggressive approach ne is needed now for infection control and injection and blood safety. So uh, enough has not been done. No. So what changes would you like to see to prevent further outbreaks? The fortunate or unfortunate thing is, Philippa, it has to be a multi-sectoral, it has to be a multi-cater uh, or multi-health system tier uh, response. So just the physician, just the public health uh, official, just the, the political power at that time can't do it alone. You have to have, uh, you have, to have stakeholders from the community, you have to have stakeholders from from the medical community, and then you have to have stakeholders from the government. And they all have to unify on how to systematically, regularly, consistently improve training. And at the same time, 
you know, create buy-in from the community. So it's the community which comes and demands injections because the perception among the public is that an injection is better or more efficacious than oral medication. And there are a lot of systemic flaws, you know, which, which buy into that. So maybe if there was better legislation and better monitoring of the quality of oral medications, the oral medications would be seen to work better than IV. Maybe if the parents were communicated, taught their misconceptions, addressed one-to-one that no uh, oral medication. There is a lot of work which needs to be done at every level to understand where the mistrust of IV of oral medication is coming from and then to address it and also to make sure that we minimize IV injections and at the same time, if we can't, we ensure that it can be given safely. So just talking about blood transfusion in Pakistan, so there is no voluntary donor system, which means, uh, Philippa, that in a country where you have inherited blood disorders like thalassemia, where you need blood products regularly for management, families will come as donors or they will be paid donors. Now, paid donors generally end up being IDUs or they end up being people with high-risk behaviors who want to generate an income by selling blood. So automatically, this is a recipe for disaster and uh, it needs to be addressed. Now, this leads to a lot of unregistered blood banks. And even if you close them up, even if there is policing, you close up the unregistered places, just the demand makes sure that they will mushroom again after a few months. It needs a lot of thought and it needs a lot of follow-up. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to think about how how these things, yeah, go so far beyond the sort of education and things like, you know, the idea that, you know, manufacturing practices need to be improved so that, that you know, that the all medications are more standard. And, you know, that's, that's really sort of fascinating. Yes. Um, so you said that 97%, around 97% of the children have, are, have, um, are taking antiretrovirals. So, you know, what are the outcomes um, for children with HIV living in Pakistan? Even generally, and not just Ratodero and Larkana, Philippa, children generally are doing well on ART. So clinically, they, they, they respond. Uh, our guidelines sort of mirror the WHO guidelines. I and a colleague of mine have been involved for a while. Uh, Dr. Faisal is actually a co-author on the paper, Faisal Mahmood. So we, we sort of customize the WHO guidelines for a, in a Pakistani, give it a Pakistani perspective. And we sort of have our first line, our second line, our third line regimens. Uh, the, the ARV in Pakistan comes from through the support of Global Fund, and it's free of cost for the patient. But other than that, every other thing, every other ancillary care needed for the person, the person has to pay for through their own pocket. Now, clinically, children do well. And we have a small proportion of children who will fail their first line therapy and ultimately go on to the second line. It's the social part of their lives which suffers. Because what we've seen in Ratodero and in Larkana is that there is a lot of fear, there's a lot of stigma, and people are being ostracized. Children are being ostracized within the family, at school, in the workplace. And I think this kind of systemic prejudice against children with HIV in a city where there is a very large proportion of HIV has to also be addressed. This needs community engagement. It needs active community engagement, active uh, public awareness messages, 
and 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 I have to say, it needs peer groups within the community. Uh, so there are some groups who are working with the community, trying to create, you know, awareness, trying to create some kind of access of people who who can get their questions answered. Again, Philippa, very very labor intensive. If you look at every aspect of how HIV can affect a child. Do you have HIV specialists or is it general pediatricians who are looking after these children? So the truth is, Philippa, before the 2019 uh, HIV outbreak, I mean, the joke which I generally heard was that, oh, you know, you're the expert of a condition which is not present in children. You're, you're a pediatric HIV or infectious disease physician, but there's, there's no pediatric HIV in Pakistan. So the truth is that there was no drive to train a lot of pediatricians on how to identify and how to treat HIV. So the 2019 outbreak has basically told us that every child in Pakistan is at risk of HIV if they go to healthcare facilities, if they receive injections, or if they've received a blood transfusion, which automatically means that now we really need to address informing, educating general pediatricians and general physicians, if not how to treat, then at least when to suspect and how to test and how to link with care. So this is something which we are working on and work on this has improved. There have been a lot of training sessions for general pediatricians uh, from a Pakistan Pediatric um, Association Forum and also from, um, so, you know, so WHO and UNICEF have been kind enough to sponsor quite a few online and Zoom training sessions for HIV physicians within the system, even they, even within the vertical HIV program in Pakistan, most physicians were physicians for adults because there was a small proportion of children. But now with Lartana, suddenly, uh, you know, you have, a, you have 1200 plus children who are positive for HIV. This has created the need for more physicians to be able to handle HIV. So I agree with you. This is yet another deficiency which has to be addressed over the next few years. I just, sorry, just a final question. I was just wondering, you know, you, you make the sort of the, the very sobering point that actually, you know, all children in Pakistan have to be considered at risk for acquisition HIV because of the sort of unsafe needle practices. You know, have there been attempts to sort of scale up testing and, and to try and identify, you know, children? Or, you know, now that the outbreak is seen as perhaps sort of being relatively contained, has, has the focus dropped off? Ideally, Philippa, testing should be stepped up. It's just that randomized, planned testing of a large proportion of even Larkana and Ratodero, let alone other cities of Karachi, it's a very expensive endeavor. We want to do what is known as intelligent testing. And, uh, you know, so, so say smarter testing in the form of where would we find a higher yield of positive patients? So this testing strategy is under discussion right now and academicians like myself and my colleagues and the government and UNICEF and WHO are actually in discussion right now about how best to make the most of limited resources and either improve voluntary testing by people or at the same time provide point of care testing. So this is under discussion. And it's difficult. So say, for example, um, most of the big cities of Pakistan are potential hotbeds. And the reason for it is that you have a large demand for physicians and for IV injections. You have people who are taking shortcuts and not really with criminal intent. The, the worrying thing is they don't have criminal intent. <laughs> they completely think they're doing the right thing. 
and giving injections the way they do. Now, you know, even the 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 solutions to that, like only single use injections, etc., require the kind of legislation which is slow in a country like Pakistan. So we know the list, the long list of problems which need to be addressed. They just need commitment over time. I think in Pakistan, we like quick solutions. One person is responsible for this outbreak. So that one person, let's remove him from service. And, you know, it means HIV will finish and transmission will not happen anymore. So I wish life was that simple. <laughs> but it requires a concerted effort over the next decade, if not two decades, by the medical community, by the government and by the community. I'm sure with conditions like you involved, I, I, you know, I hope that photo, you see that progress. So thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you, um, Philippa. And thank you everyone for listening. And um, as I mentioned, if you're interested in reading um, Fatima's paper, it can be found in the June issue of the Lancet HIV. Um, and please do take a look at the whole issue, which contains papers on a wide range of topics, including for those interested in learning more about children living with HIV, a paper on the outcomes of children with HIV following universal antiretroviral therapy in sub-Saharan Africa. So thank you once again for joining us. And we hope we'll be back next month when we continue the conversation. <laughs>